Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in today. I'm really excited to have a new guest on today. Her name is Chloe. She's from the UK and she's joining to talk about everything from leaving a small town to moving to Paris and how all of a sudden this foreign country felt like home, how it kind of felt like it was meant to be from day one. And so if you can relate to that in any way, just kind of feeling like a black sheep, like your country, your stage in life or whatever is not, doesn't really fit you. I think you can really relate to this topic because there's this kind of in between that a lot of people experience. And sometimes when you finally find what you feel like you can call home, it's, it's a really nice feeling. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, if you want to just introduce yourself um, and where you're from, how you got to Paris. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm Chloe. I, uh, I'm from Exeter, um, a pretty small town, a uh, small city in, in southwest of England. Um, I actually grew up in Timmouth, which is a tiny seaside town, but no one's ever heard of it. So I prefer to use Exeter as the base. <laughs> and I came to Paris 10 years ago after graduating, pretty much straight after graduating from university. Uh, two months later, I, I came over. My parents actually drove me over on the ferry uh, to Maison Effite, a beautiful town outside of uh, Paris, uh, to be an au pair for two uh, gorgeous little boys and a French-English family. French-English family? Yeah, the mom was English and the dad was French. Huh. Mm. That's really interesting. <laughs> did Okay, so did you know French at that point? Um, I knew French. I definitely didn't speak it. I, I had no confidence at all. I couldn't even order a coffee and a croissant confidently. So having the English mum was definitely uh, really comforting because I felt very out of my depth. Uh, but the boys spoke English because that was definitely the aim of the au pair was to have the au pair speak English to the boys as they did live in France. And although they attended a bilingual school, uh, they didn't have as much English in their everyday lives as I think the mom would have liked them to have. Because mm, that, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of families who are, I know a lot of English families in France try to speak in English at home so that they can grow up bilingual. But if you're, if you're mixed, that's a little bit more difficult to do, I think. The the mum did a really great job actually. I'm I'm I, I always use her as an example of how uh, you should <laughs> you should bring up bilingual children. She only spoke to the boys in English and the father only spoke to the boys in French. So they just understood they understood that mum spoke French very well. They did they did see that. Uh, it was hard for her to hide that because she spoke French to her husband. So it was quite quite an interesting dynamic. Um, as his English was, his English is actually very good now, but when 10 years ago, it was not really, uh, it was pretty non-existent. Uh, so she really insisted on the English with them and the boys just switched between the two parents. They'd speak English to their mom and French to her, to their dad. And it was totally normal for them. 
did are you still in touch with them yes i am i am um i'm i actually was an au pair twice over the years that i've been here and i'm still in touch with both families they were really really good to me i had a really good experience with both of my families um as i think especially with my first family it was hard to be away from home and uh my au pair mom definitely became like you know, like a cool auntie or something. She was definitely someone I could confide in. And uh, I never felt lonely because uh, she she really was kind of a substitute mom, <laughs> even to me. <laughs> I was only 21 at the time. So although I'd lived away from home uh, when I was at university, it was, was not the same as living in a different country, really away from my family. So <laughs> not the same at all. <laughs> And you left fairly quickly after university. Is it because you just wanted to try something new or was there a reason behind kind of leaving England? Um, I actually remember sort of the the disappointment uh, towards the end of university when we were all applying for jobs and it was the middle of the tw- 2010 financial crisis and we were all struggling to get jobs. All of my, I lived with six girls in a house and I remember that no one was sort of finding it easy. It was, it was hard. And I think I just realized if I can't work in publishing, which is what I wanted to do uh, in London, I didn't really want to work anywhere else in England. <laughs> London was kind of the, the be all and end all for me at that point. So I, I had done French until I was 18, uh, but I hadn't followed through with it at university. And I, and I really just felt that I still wanted to be bilingual and to speak another language. And I just decided to to go. And I started looking up. Um, I actually had a friend at university who was doing the same thing. And I think she might have turned me onto it and said, I'm on this au pair website and you can communicate with families. And that's how I found uh, my my little family in Maison Lafitte. And you were ready to leave by the time you left. Um, <laughs> actually, not not at all. I, oh. I, definitely, I definitely remember. Um, hilariously, I made all of my friends dress up as French people for a night out. That was my leaving my leaving party. So we all had berets and we drew mustaches on with eyeliner and uh, <laughs> went out with uh, stripy t-shirts on, went clubbing, dressed as French people. Oh, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> And I, I thought I was ready to leave. I made sure that I, you know, didn't have any romantic attachments. Uh, I, you know, refused to date anybody that summer because I, I wanted to leave. I didn't want to get distracted. Um, but when it came to it, I, I just thought that I'd made a mistake. I remember saying goodbye to my sister and my sister was just crying and crying and didn't want me to leave. And I thought I've made a terrible mistake. Um but I went through with it and my parents just kept saying, if you don't like it, like, well, well, you know, you can come home. So just stick it out and see, see how it goes. And, uh, and 10 years later, <laughs> I'm still here. So 10 years later, I stuck it out. <laughs> <laughs> so that must have been why having that English mom was so special because it was a piece of home away from home. 
Yeah, absolutely. And my honestly, I cannot praise my my host family enough. Um, Lisa, the mum. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> she, she she was really incredible. Even with the other au pair girls who um, sometimes didn't have as nice a family as I did, uh, she would almost take them under her wing too, um, and was always so open to me having friends round or the other girls coming back with their kids to to play in the garden um and even when I left them they they gave me a very nice gift when I left and uh, kind of helped to set me up for my my first apartment in Paris um so they they really they really took care of me and uh, it was just like I was another part of the family so uh I was very very lucky and I I'm not sure <laughs> if I would have stuck it out, if I hadn't had uh, this kind of feeling of um, I had another mum at home. Yeah. Having someone in, in the vicinity that's there for you and just will always support you is Mm -hmm. really, really helpful. Yeah, no, it was really great. And she uh, was just really understanding about everything and very cool. You know, how you want your mom to be very chill, Um, trusted me entirely with the boys. Uh, She actually had a baby, a third uh, boy while I was working for her. And uh, I knew nothing about babies. Uh, I really, I'd been honest and said, you know, I'm great with kids, but I don't really know what to do with a baby. And, and she taught me everything I know, showed me how to, (laughs) I remember how she showed me how to put the cream on the baby properly when, when the babies just come out of the you know shower or the bath, like how to dry the baby properly because they're all, you know, chubby and they look like little Michelin babies and, uh, and uh, how to burp a baby, all these things that, I mean, I was 21 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I'm really grateful to her for that because uh, she never, never doubted me. She just said, you'll be fine. Show me how to do it. And, just do uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was like, yeah, she really, really guided me. But there was never this, oh, I don't, you know, there was never a lack of trust. It was just, you'll get it. You'll be fine. <laughs> mm. Did you, so you left after nine months into your own apartment? Yes, I... Uh, I actually went home for a little bit, which was which was probably a mistake because coming back was quite difficult. I went home for about a month or six weeks as I was waiting to hear back about a job. And uh, then I came back and moved in with my boyfriend at the time while I was looking for a place. So that was just temporary while I was uh, looking for, for an apartment of my own. And then I got I got the job and they said, we need you back in Paris. And I came I came straight back. Did you, so you went home for six months. Why was that oh, six weeks? Why was that a mistake? I think because I was still really, really close to, I mean, I am still close to my friends, but I was still really close to them. And I think they all thought she's coming back for good. She's not going to leave again. And so leaving the second time was, was almost harder because, uh, I, I, of course I missed all of them. I got to spend the whole summer with them. Uh, we live in a very picturesque place in the UK. It's, you know, the seaside and barbecues on the beach. And it's, it it was very, very hard to come back to kind of Paris after, after that. But, uh, but it was the right choice, but it it was just really hard to leave my friends. That actually, that makes sense. Cause it's like, I think a lot of people who don't know an individual who's left their country think that they're always coming back. 
And I, cause I've had this, conver- I've had this conversation with a few people now where the people at home have a really difficult time understanding why you've left. And then coming back for nine months, you're like, okay, so you're back. Like that was just a kind of trip and you're here now. Right. And, uh, and mo- a lot of times people are like, sometimes people are like, yes. It was just a one-off. I just needed to try it. And then but the people who aren't like that, who are like, no, this is what my life is going to be like. It's a, it's really, really difficult to have that, to adapt to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a slight, I would say that, and some of my friends even took offense to it a little bit, that I wanted to leave again and that I didn't want to stay in our small town with, you know, all these people that I've known for my entire life and... I think they felt quite that it was quite personal that why would I want to leave and not stay with them and have barbecues every weekend in the summer and go to the beach every day. And um, I think they just couldn't imagine why I'd want to leave such a beautiful place, but I did. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was, um, it was definitely, it was definitely harder the second time, but it's funny that you say that people don't really believe that you're, gone really gone and I think it was not that long ago maybe a year or two when I'd been here for sort of eight seven or eight years that my sister actually admitted to me that the day I left she didn't she did not believe that I'd stay she was like oh you'll be back she'll be back and uh, it took my sister a really long time to accept that I was never coming home and uh, and it was really hard for her but she she really said I, I really believe for a long long time that you would you would come home eventually. What was the time where she was finally like, this is it? (laughs) I think probably when she, so she got married last, uh, not last year. Now it would be 2019. Um, And I think it was at that time that she sort of realized how permanent it was, maybe because she was feeling very emotional and overwhelmed and everything was going on with the wedding. And it was really hard for me that I wasn't able to be there for her as much as I wanted to be, especially with all the the stress of the wedding planning. There's only so much you can do from, you know, on video calls or <laughs> via WhatsApp. So I think that, that that was the moment she realized that that I was kind of gone for good and we had to adapt. We just had to figure it out because I wasn't going to be around the corner. She lives five minutes from my parents she can just pop in for a cup of tea. And she said that she found it very difficult that I wasn't just there for her during the wedding planning. And she couldn't just pop around and tell me how annoying (laughs) everything was or how crazy everything was driving her. And uh, that was hard. So I think that's when she realized this is, this is real now. She's made her life somewhere else. It is. It does feel like sometimes a bit of a sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's definitely been, it's, it's so difficult too, because I love my life in France and I could not imagine being this happy in the UK. I, it really feels like I should have always been here and I should have been born here and <laughs> it's where I'm supposed to be. Um, but being away from your family just never, ever gets easier. And I think with the pandemic, there's been so many times where I've had uh, a wobble and said, oh, my God, I should be living closer to my parents. You know, what if something happens and I can't get home because of the pandemic? And um, it really put things into question 
But I'm always reassured by, luckily, my family are extremely supportive and they always reassure me that, no, if you came back here, you'd be miserable and you'd drive us all mad with how miserable you, <laughs> you would be uh, because they know how happy I am here. But I do still have, even even after 10 years, there's still this kind of occasional wobble of, oh, did I really choose to be away from from my whole family? Mm. It, yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. Uh, sorry, I just got caught up <laughs> in the story. I just because it's such a, it's like so it's, and I found that a lot with the with not only Brexit but the pandemic. A lot of people from the UK are having for the first time this kind of realization that it is not just around the corner. Uh, like you can't leave, and I know for a lot of other foreigners that had been the case for a while. Like um, for me, I had stuff happen at home and in Paris at the same time. So I couldn't leave. And that was like one of the hardest things. And it just kind of stays with you. You were like, it's just the right decision. It really makes you question it sometimes. Definitely. And even something as simple as, the so before the pandemic there was a very small airline that flew from Paris Charles de Gaulle to Exeter which is 15 minutes from my parents house no way and because although it's a very small city uh, there's a quite famous university there so a lot of people go there for for university from from France and the airline went bust during the pandemic because of the pandemic it was already kind of on its last legs and so now if I want to go home, I have to take the Eurostar to London and then another train for about three hours. So it's it's, it's a good probably six hour journey now, <laughs> door to door, whereas the um, the flight used to be a lot quicker. So even even that made me think, oh, you know, now going home isn't going to be as easy as it used to be. Yeah. For many reasons. But uh, but it is what it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, and for and the friends that you had a, that summer with, the six weeks with, are you still in touch with them? Yes, um, I'm still in touch with with all of them. Actually, I think it helped that a lot of them uh, I went to school with, so we already had a very kind of um, serious bond. You know, we'd been friends for such a long time. Um, but it's we have very different lives now. They all have children. They have all got married. Um, so we do we do live very different lives. But I love to see what they're doing, what they're up to. Uh, that they're on the you know they're on the beach with their kids, uh, and I'm in a in a big city, <laughs> um, trying to avoid you know poo on the pavement. But. Uh, we just live very different lives. It's it's, um, but it's really nice too. I always try to see them when I go home, which isn't always easy because it can be quite overwhelming. You go home, you only have a week. Most of the time, I only have a week. I want to see my family. Uh, by the time I've seen my whole family, I'm at day five, and uh, it's it's hard to to fit everybody in because you want everybody to make everybody you know feel loved and and I just try to to keep in contact with them while I'm here and I always tell them if I'm you know not going to or not going to have time to to see them when I'm home they're 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 understanding yeah 
Yeah, you find that's where I, that's why I find interesting is that sometimes I know for me personally, I've traveled so much that I I have four or five people who I stay in contact with, and then everyone else is kind of scattered. And but it's just because once you leave and you travel and you do so much, you just kind of your your group gets smaller because it's the people who stay in contact with and you put in the time when you're not in the same time zone or in the same country. <laughs> And I think my friends at home have been really good. They kind of have adjusted to the fact that I might not contact them that much while I'm here. But as soon as I'm home, they all get a message saying, I'm here. Uh, You know, I will be here tonight because there's always like the local pub or the local beach. And um, I always tell them where I'm going to be in case they're around and if they can pop in or uh, if they want to just pop into, they all know where my parents live because they all came to my parents' house when we were growing up. So sometimes they just pop in for a cup of tea on their way somewhere. Um, So they're all really good about it. I think they know that uh, we have a pretty hectic lifestyle. So when we come home, it's, it's really to try to maximize the time with my family Mm -hmm. and so uh, you went you went home went back to Paris and you are trying to find an apartment and found a job so you started like creating a life in Paris in this other country now yeah I came back I pretty much started my job immediately um but I I was just looking for an apartment for for quite a long time it was quite difficult to find an apartment um, even though I had a, a CDI, but once you're, while you're in your trial period, it's very difficult to, to get an apartment. And eventually I was really lucky. I, I got an apartment through one of the, one of my students who was renting out her apartment because she was moving in with her boyfriend. So, uh, so I rented her apartment for the next four years. So it worked out really well. Wait, your student had an apartment? Ugh. Well, my students were adults because uh, I worked at Wall Street English, the uh, the teaching, uh, the adult school for English. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, she, I think she sent an email one day to to all of us at work or to someone at work and somebody passed it on to me and, uh, and I snapped it up. So it was uh, perfect timing. Where was the apartment? Um, it actually wasn't in Paris. I've always found myself just on the outside. I've only ever lived in Paris for one year, actually in the center. Um, so it was in a place called um, Becourt les Bruyères near Agnières sur Seine, uh, line 13, but I was on a train line, so I didn't have mm. a metro. Near okay. sort of Le de Loire kind of area. Yeah, it was it was in the suburbs, but not not far. Really, te- like the train to Saint-Lazare was 10 minutes. Okay. It was nice. Did you... Is it kind of crazy having lived in the city, but mostly lived in the suburbs, like it's a very different lifestyle than if you're living in the center of the city. Yes. Um, I think I was traumatized by my first, <laughs> so my first uh, boyfriend that I had here actually lived on the Ile de la Cité. He lived right next to Notre Dame, which sounds amazing. And of course, all my girlfriends thought it was the best thing in the world. You know, oh, this, you know, you're right next to Notre Dame. But the reality of it was um, you couldn't walk outside your front door because the hordes of tourists outside the door I, every single day. I mean, like January to December, it was uh, always packed. Um, it, it was really crowded, it, really noisy. Um, the bells also go off pretty much all day, which by the end I just was was absolutely going crazy um and i think i just missed the 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 quiet going from maison lafitte 
which is a very, very residential, quiet area, to this sort of very inner city Paris in the fifth, where it was just there's always so much going on in that area. It was uh, it kind of made me realize I definitely prefer something in the middle, not not as far away as Maison Lafitte, but uh, not right in the center. It was it was not my cup of tea at all. I it's crazy because of the pandemic. I forgot the crowds Mm. like because I lived in the 5th closer to the 13th and then I lived near Gardelion and so close enough to where like if you walk sometimes you see all the tourists and just the last year I like anytime I walk no you know there's crowds of people but they're only European and there's not that many Mm mm-hmm so, like, I think Notre Dame, the fire, and then that, like, really, because I don't, I was like, oh, my God, you're right. The crowds in that area must have been insane. It was unbearable. It was, I would literally open the front door. Um, so, it was on the left side of Notre Dame where you have all those little restaurants and touristy shops and stuff. And I would literally open the front door and sometimes I wouldn't be able to get out into the street because there were people, when the queue gets really long, they queue. Mm-hmm around that area um and it was just it it was it was just too much (laughs) it was it was such an iconic place to live and i'm sure i'll tell my grandchildren that i lived on Ile de la cité for a few months um with a with a boyfriend at some time but uh in reality it was it was not as romantic as it sounds (laughs) so i know that you you had a, a french boyfriend at the time did that impact your your decision to stay or do you think if that he hadn't come into the picture you would have stayed anyways so he came into the picture i'd say about six months in or maybe a little bit before it's a long time ago i don't really remember (laughs) Um, but uh he, I remember at the time being really happy because I definitely made the decision to stay before I met him. So I can't yes. remember exactly when it was. But I remember being very happy because I could reassure myself that I hadn't made the decision just because of him. Um, but when I came back to Paris, oh, this is a story. Um, I was <laughs> I was not in his apartment for very long as I very quickly discovered that while I'd been at home for six weeks, he had been uh, cheating on me with someone that he worked with. I take back that yay. <laughs> That's terrible. It, it, to be honest, I mean, it is, it is. Uh, <laughs> but it's also one of those lesson learned kind of stories. And um, so I was not there for very long at all because I needed to, it was, which is also why I snapped up this apartment as soon as I, I think I didn't even look at it. I just said, I'll take it because I needed to get out of the situation I was in. Um, and that weirdly that I, I I think it probably could have broken me, but I had I had such good friends. I had two friends. I still have these two wonderful ladies in my life. Um, Ilana, a girl from the States, and Rachel, uh, a girl from England, uh, who had both decided to stay for a second year as au pairs. So they were still in Paris. We'd already been friends for a year, and they just. Yeah, they just kind of saved it for me. They took me out. They made me walk around the city. They forced me to do things. And uh, they just sort of kept my mind off it. And uh, and I made them stay. They, they I made them stay over at my house so many times. I feel terrible for them now. I wouldn't let them leave. 
they just slept on like my couch and so one of them would always sleep in the bed with me um but they were they were fantastic friends they were my my breakup crew and uh and I think it's probably thanks to them that I didn't feel this immediate need to to go home because I had I had a, a support little my own little support family luckily yeah and yeah that's really important again the support the importance of finding people in the city that you move to cannot be overstated <laughs> oh, yeah they become they become your family that's always what we say as as migrants in another country and one of my closest friends from uni just moved to singapore last year right in the middle of the pandemic um, I, what yeah she she or perhaps it was the kind of end of december 2019 and okay but i remember we were discussing it in sort of january february and it was kind of are you gonna go or can you even go because of the pandemic um but she did and um I remember saying to her that, you know, it probably wouldn't always be easy, but she would, she would eventually find her family. She would find friends that become like family because of the situation that we find ourselves in, which she, she did, uh, she did agree with eventually. <laughs> she found it. <laughs> yeah, no, she did. She did. They, they managed to, well, Singapore has managed the pandemic much better than a majority of the European countries and, you know, the U S and everywhere. So they, they are pretty much back to normal now. Uh, I see her doing very normal things. They don't have masks on. It's quite, it's quite bizarre, um, to, to see her going to bars and stuff and not having a mask on. Um, but no, they did. They met, they met a lot of other, uh, migrants and, uh, they managed to, make their own friendship group and, and keep it going during the pandemic. <laughs> this is why I hate having friends in Asia. <laughs> Cause you're like, why are you guys living so normally? <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've really, um, really got, got ahead of us with all that, but they also had much stricter lockdown. I remember, I remember when she was in lockdown, she would send me the government. They did these cute little posters in Singapore. <laughs> they were adorable. One of the things on it actually was, she sent it to me because she knows I'm a huge fan of um, bubble tea. Mm. And one of the things was you cannot go out and have bubble tea, which for, which for Singaporeans is like saying to English people, you can't go and have a cup of tea. Um, so it was hilarious and uh but they couldn't do anything she couldn't even go out of the house with her partner mm -hmm. like in, at least in france we could go for a walk at the when the pandemic was at its absolute worst we could go for a walk with the people we lived with for an hour a day uh in a one kilometer range but they couldn't even leave the house together they couldn't go outside and exercise together or do anything so their measures were much much stricter than ours yeah, but now they're living normally. <laughs> exactly. So maybe we should have followed them a little bit more. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, also the bubble tea. Yes. I saw. I saw that you like went to. Oh my god! What was the bubble tea place called? Uh, I think it's pronounced Zing Fu Tang. If I'm pronouncing it correctly. Is it near Republic? There are two. There's one in Paris, which is not far from Republic, I believe. Okay. The one I went to, we don't live very far from uh, the 13th from Chinatown. So we go to the one in Chinatown. 
Ah, uh, okay. Okay. I actually have a little anecdote about that. Because <laughs> I went, oh my God, I went to one of those on a date, on like a hinge date. So it's the first time meeting this guy, right? <laughs> and he, we went to one and you know how they have also like people who've listened and I have a lot of health <laughs> problems. And I've had like, I had surgery in Paris. I've, I've had like a few chronic things. So I do. And I know it, but I try not to tell my like first time hinge date people that because I'm like, you don't need to know this. Okay. <laughs> and so we go and we get our fortunes, right? And his fortune is like, he pulls a stick and his fortune is, I hate this because I've like, I've traveled to in Asian countries and my fortune's always worse than my friends. Always. <laughs> oh, like consistently. It's the terrible. And he got like, good fortune like you're gonna make money or something and then i got average fortune fortune your friends or family are gonna be worried about your health (laughs) and my face just dropped and i was just like seriously like why and he thought it was because of covid and he was just like i think you're gonna be fine and i was just like you don't know that. Like, be quiet. <laughs> Later in the day, I was just like, yeah, I had like emergency surgery and six months of nurse care in France. That's why my face dropped. And he's like, oh, I got it. <laughs> oh, God. I'm well, sorry. Bro- I suppose it broke the ice and then you had an opportunity <laughs> to to tell your, your, your hinge date. My hinge date. Oh, my God. Uh, those fortunes, bubble tea, my favorite things in the world. Oh, they're so great. Yeah, I'm a big fan, big, big fan of bubble tea. Thanks to um, – there's actually a group. I don't know if you ever heard of them when you lived here. A group of girls – that I met again through the bloggers in Paris group. Um, and they run a group called Chop Chicks in Paris. And uh, Jocelyn, one of the girls, um, she invited us to go to the New Year parade. It must have been two or three years ago now. Um, and she took me and my boyfriend to our first bubble tea place. We went to Shatheim in, in Chinatown. And she told us kind of how we should order it you know, not too much sugar and do we prefer milk teas or fruit teas? And she really opened the door to our obsession with bubble tea. We had no idea about it at all. And now we we have, I think we've tried nearly all of them in Paris and we are always searching for a new one to, to try. That's beautiful. Are you so, okay, like once the pandemic is controlled, will you be going to Singapore to visit your friends? <laughs> And the bubble tea. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so. But actually, we had a three-week trip to Japan planned last year, which, of course, um, did not happen because of the pandemic. I'm still broken hard about it, to be totally honest. But I know I know it will. I know it will happen one day. But we were really, really excited about that trip. Um, so hopefully, when things have really calmed down, that will be the first thing that we rebook um and and get over there finally <laughs> uh two years later than planned probably but uh but then after that i would i would really like to to go and visit my friend in singapore it's it's singapore and hong kong are are two more places that are on my list so 
And the bubble tea. <laughs> really and just for the bubble tea. tea. <laughs> All the food in Japan. I had I had just been I had followed so many people on Instagram and been watching so many videos on TikTok and YouTube about all the weird and wonderful foods they have in Japan. So I'm very excited to to try everything. <laughs> oh my god, that's so exciting. This is a terrible tangent. <laughs> but it's just so worth it. <laughs> Uh, yeah goodness gracious i don't even know where where you were but i think we were literally in your first like three years of Paris. you've been there for 10 now yeah (laughs) yeah we were like the so i just started my new job and got my new apartment and left my (laughs) ex-boyfriend yeah (laughs) discovered bubble deer along the way it's, it's, that's all that matters in life, right? It's just that. Exactly. <laughs> Did you? Um, so you became a te- like taught English for yeah quite some time. I uh, worked at Wall Street for four years. Um, for the first two years, I was a teacher, and then my boss left. Um, and I became the, I took over from him and I became a service manager. So in English, it was always kind of a customer service role, but it was actually also very pedagogical. In French, it would be a responsable pedagogique. So it was much more like I um, met with the students and determined their level, also changed their level if they were placed in the wrong, um, wrong classes, which was often the case. And, uh, but at the same time, I was doing all the scheduling for all the classes and the social activities that we had in the school. So it was a mix of kind of mini headmistress and uh, also pedagogical um, training with the students and guidance. Mm. When did you transition to the job you have now? So I left Wall Street um, in, oh God, I don't know what it was, but I left after four years <laughs> and I did not know what I wanted to do. All I knew was I didn't want to do um, that job anymore as the company was changing a lot and it was becoming more of a sort of business sales role, which was not at all what I was interested in. I really wanted to um be there for the students in terms of kind of emotional support and pedagogical support. And I was not willing to sell them something that they didn't need, uh, which is kind of where the company was going, I felt. So um, I decided to to leave. And I, at that time, wanted to give my blog a go. I wanted to see whether blogging full time was something that I, or writing full time, um, was something that I could do or even wanted to do. So that's when I became an au pair again for the second time. Um, as I thought, well, I need to have some stability. I need to have some money coming in. I need to have somewhere to live. I can't just see how it goes and uh, not have uh, any any basis. So um, I then became an au pair to another family who is friends with my original host family. Uh, obviously my original host family said, if you want to come back, we would love you to come back. But I didn't want to be in Maison Lafitte. It was too far away from the city. The whole point was I would be blogging about Paris. So I wanted to be 
close to Paris. Um, so I worked for a family in Neuilly-sur-Seine. It's very close to La Défense, and and uh, I worked with them for for almost a year while I was blogging at the same time. Okay. How did you find the blogging life? <laughs> I honestly thought I would love it. And I realized that actually it was very isolating. I, I really missed having colleagues and people to talk to. You know, I was just in my studio by myself all day <laughs> um, when the kids were at school. And of course, I was not earning a lot of money because I was an au pair. So I didn't have the money to do all these activities and cool things that I wanted to write about. So it, it very, I very quickly realized that once it became a job and it was no longer for pleasure, that it actually took all of the fun out of it. And I didn't love it anymore. Mm. Um, so that's when I decided to go back to, you know, a, a real, I mean, not a au pairing is a real job, but going back to something more serious where I could just do my blogging uh, on the side. At any of this time when you're in these transitional periods, were you like, England. <laughs> um, no, I wasn't actually. I still was never, never thinking about that. But at that time, um, I met my now, uh, my, my current boyfriend. Um, and I think that I just would never have thought about leaving because we had a, started to build our life together. We um, moved in together not long after I got my new job. Um, so everything was coming together in our relationship. So leaving was was not something I was thinking about. Plus, my parents were not uh, super happy about me leaving my great, you know, I was 25 years old and I'd secured a management position in a big company. They were so proud of me. And then I told them I was quitting it all to do blogging full time. And I think they just thought I was insane. Uh, so it was definitely not this kind of, oh, come home, come home. And I was. <laughs> you were like, stay. <laughs> you were like, figure your shit out. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, or come home when you figured it out. But no, no, they were, they, I mean, they've always been very supportive, but obviously they were a bit shocked by that choice mm. um, because that's their generation would not have made that kind of decision. Uh, doing a job you love? What? No. Um, <laughs> so, so no, I think, I think I was really happy where I was I had really made some good friends I mean that, that would have been year five going on year six I'd been here so I had some really really good friends um and my partner and his family and there was there was no kind of temptation to leave I know that you had mentioned before that your dad is very pro-British and you just being in becoming French because essentially I know that you got your nationality very recently and so you are now technically French and so along the way did that become an issue and like I could see that becoming more of an issue when you're in these transitional stages like when you're success like quote-unquote successful in a in a managerial position it's like okay you do that go ahead but when you're in these transitions of if you're blogging if you're being an au pair and then you're moving to new company and you don't know quite where you're at. Is that when it, it became a bit harder to be, to justify staying in France where you're always just kind of like, I don't, I don't care. 
Um, no, I think definitely, I probably didn't think about it at the time, but it, it probably definitely made it harder to convince people that it, I'd made the right decision, especially because uh, it was right in the, you know, smack in the middle of when I, uh, when I'd been in France. So it was kind of a, if this doesn't succeed, then you might have to go home. It was, it was sort of a big change. Um, but I think, I think to be honest, the, the longer, the longer I stay here, the more friction it causes with, with my dad and with the, with the kind of Brexit, well, the Brexit situation didn't help either. That caused a lot of friction for a lot of families. I know I'm not alone in, in my situation. Um, but it definitely is, it definitely is hard for my dad to accept my love for another country, I think, which, which I understand too. Um, but I, it's, it's difficult. I think it's just different opinions. And he's always lived in the UK. He absolutely loves France. He loves France, comes here all the time, loves the food, loves the wine, loves the people, loves the, the landscape, everything. Um, but feels very strongly about his home country and, and his, his loyalty to that. So I think he feels that perhaps I'm a little bit disloyal with the fact that I decided to leave. But it might, in all honesty, just be him kind of feeling sad that I'm not around and that's the only way he can really portray that he doesn't like that I live abroad and actually it's that he doesn't like that I'm away all the time. Yeah. But men are complicated. So <laughs> 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 I just don't change that. <laughs> and so now you're a French national. Yeah. Does it make you feel more French? <laughs> it does. It does. Because for me, it was the, it was the final piece of the puzzle. Um, my name is hilariously French. Uh, my first name is French. My dad named me after the first perfume bottle that he bought from my mom, which was Chloe. Oh. So, <laughs> it's a very romantic man, my father. Um, That's adorable. <laughs> And uh, my last name is Martin, which is the second after Dupont is the second most popular name in France for a French person. Uh, and my middle name is also Charlotte, which is extremely, extremely French. Um, so there's actually a part of the application when you become French where you can francise your name, which means basically Frenchify. Uh, so, of course, uh, lots of people who have Chinese names or... Um, any, any kind of name that's difficult to pronounce in French, they have the opportunity to change their name or modify it so that it's easier to to pronounce. And my French friends were absolutely in fits of laughter, saying, "What are you going to do? How how could you possibly make your name more French unless you throw a you know a Napoleon in there or something?" <laughs> um, so it's funny that now it feels like even my name sort of matches my identity now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have to say to people because people would often say, "But you must have, you know, French ancestors or something." And I'm like, "No, I no, I don't. I'm just English and a little bit Irish, and that's it." And they they could not understand how you could have this name and not be French. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it really, really felt like the last piece of the puzzle. I worked really hard to get it. It's a really difficult process. Um, you have to pass lots of exams, including a test about French history. Uh, and 
even even when she, uh, so when you go and pick up your uh, carte d'identité and your pass, passport, they turn around the screen to show you what it's going to look like to make sure that all the, all the details are correct before they print it out for you. And uh, it was very strange to see Francaise instead of English as the nationality. Um, but it was also incredibly moving and, and just felt like a, a huge, uh, huge achievement. That's awesome. It probably, yeah, that probably helps a lot. <laughs> um, just to finish it out, if you can talk about your blog a little bit. So my blog has um, has been online since 2010, since I came, but it has changed dramatically. At the beginning, it was um, it was actually called the Princess and the Frog. I did a play on the. On, on, it was terrible. Honestly, it's so embarrassing. Um, That's and beautiful. I, honestly, I would just uh, ramble about things that I'd done. It was it was a diary. I would just di- write diary entries um, about things that I'd done. So it was totally not what it is now. Uh, it has become uh, an expat help page uh, for expats, migrants who are here, and. Uh, I hope uh, I know that it helps a lot of people because I have a lot of people who have who have um, given me positive feedback. But that's really what I like to do with it now. I like to document the things I'm going through. So I documented the entire nationality process. Took five blog posts in total. Um, and I, I really just want to be able to help people who are in the same situation as I am or as I was. Uh, and I have always had a lot of support around me, so I've never had to go through any of these things alone. But I know that a lot of people don't have French friends or French family members or uh, even French colleagues sometimes who who can help with uh, with things like Carvital or going to the doctor. It's so complicated how it works in France. And once you understand it, it's easy, but getting there is a different story. So, uh, so I, I aim to to provide some relief to to people living here, to foreign people living in in France. Yeah, that's so helpful. <laughs> Lots of people appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for spending the time to talk to me today. It was really good, and I loved hearing all about your journey. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was nice to uh, take a trip down memory lane. <laughs> it is really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh, I did do that. <laughs> that did happen to me. <laughs> Thanks.